This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of Railroad Model Craftsman magazine. Sharpen your modeling skills with in-depth features and how-tos each month with Railroad Model Craftsman from Karsten's Publications. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, the little podcast with big ideas. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin, joining you by phone this time from the Model Railway Show's Lakeside Retreat. Do you have about 20 minutes? We do, and we'd like to spend them with you twice a month by sharing interesting conversations with model railroading stewards. This time, our conversations focus on both the electronic horizon and the rearview mirror. Later in the show, Jim will speak with one hobby great about another. Bob Brown, editor of the Narrow Gauge and Short Line Gazette, is back to reminisce about the accomplishments of the late, great John Allen. And Bob will tell us about the re-release of a much-sought-after book about the man and his layout, The Gorian Defeated. But first, let's look ahead. There can be no denying that computers and the Internet are playing an ever greater role in how we pursue and enjoy this hobby. We all have our favorite websites, chat groups, and dare we say podcasts. But there's a relatively new site on the web that aims to become your first stop each time you log on to your computer. Here's Trevor with John Pastana, the man who created Train Life. The Internet has been of great benefit to model railway enthusiasts. For one thing, it allows us to bring you the Model Railway Show twice per month. From news groups to podcasts to manufacturers' websites to various forums, there's a lot to be found online including Train Life. Train Life is a social networking site for those who like trains of all scales, from the very small to the full size. Think of it as Facebook for foamers. Members can post status updates, videos, and photographs. They can start up their own blog, create groups to cover specific interests, create listings for train shows and other events, and so much more. On top of this, the Train Life team seed the site and start discussions by posting articles from a large library of magazines to which Train Life has secured electronic publishing rights. In fact, you can even read entire issues online from several titles, including two fallen flags from the hobby press, Rail Model Journal and Model Railroading. We'll have a link to Train Life on our website, so be sure to pay it a visit. But to tell us more about Train Life, I'm pleased to welcome John Pastana to the Model Railway Show. John is CEO and founder of both Train Life and ExactRail, a company winning accolades from experienced modelers for its high-quality HO and N-scale rolling stock. Thanks for joining us, John. It's my pleasure to be here, Trevor. Now, let's start with some background. When did Train Life get started and how did it come about? The history of Train Life actually goes back pretty far. Officially, the website Train Life, we started working on in August of 2010, but I'd actually purchased the domain name for Train Life many years prior to that as I was trying to work on this concept of building a website for model railroaders. Many modelers would say that creating and growing a manufacturing company like ExactRail is more than a full-time job, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on that one. ExactRail has really grown rapidly since opening its doors in 2008. So why start a company and a social network for railway enthusiasts at the same time? How do each of those initiatives help the other? You are right that it's a, it's a lot of work to start a model train company. Back, I guess it was in 2008 when I started Exact Rail, and I did that just because I was wanting to do something different. My background is actually in software. So prior to Exact Rail, I'd actually founded an enterprise software company called Omniture, of which I had started in 1996 and took it public in 2006 and then sold it to a company called Adobe, which makes programs like Photoshop and Illustrator in 2009. And after I had done that, 
you know, I decided that I wanted to start a business where I could actually physically make something. And I also started the business because I was wanting to do something fun and have customers who are fans instead of just, you know, a customer. So that's how I got into Exact Rail. Now, as I was running Exact Rail, the first two years, we really noticed that there was a little bit of a void in resources online. And many of the magazines that we had enjoyed previously, like Rail Model Journal, had closed their doors. And I thought Train Life would be a great opportunity to kind of create a mashup, I always call it, of Facebook with something like the New York Times, where we have lots of great content, but also an active community where people could really contribute to the hobby. And I think that Train Life, you know, even though it does help Exact Rail, I really think that Train Life supports the hobby in general and really gets people just talking about trains. I always joke a little bit that some people don't want their Facebook friends to realize how much they like trains, you know? I certainly know that. I kind of keep the two separate as well, so I can agree with you there. One thing that there's no doubt about, though, is that Train Life has certainly attracted a lot of interest from the online community. I'm a member, and I see new members joining every day, and there's an awful lot of traffic on it. Can you give us a rough idea of the popularity of this community? Train life has been growing very fast. And, you know, right now we're receiving a little over 40,000 visitors a month, which is over a million page views a month. And really, it's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we're going to see, I think, train life grow exponentially as we continue to build features into the website that allow people to communicate easier. Then also as we expand our library and other features of the website. One thing that I see is really interesting is there's some interesting demographics emerging. When I go to other forums and other places, I see a lot of the same people that I see at every other forum. When I go to Train Life, it's different. I see a lot of active railroaders, for example. What's drawing them in? You know, I think content that we're providing is great. When you look at our content, it's not just model railroad magazines. We have rail news, which is actual historical content of real railroads. And I think that draws a lot of people in. And overall, I think that this platform also attracts new people to the site. I think there's a lot of frustration that people have over just news groups or forums that they participate in, where this is a much more active component to train life, where you can have real-time conversations with people and share ideas. And then obviously with the ability to share photos and videos and other things, it's really just brought a, a new kind of paradigm, I think, to the way that people are communicating about trains. Certainly. And the other thing I notice is that there's a lot of younger rail fans and modelers on the site. The status updates often mention having to head to class, for example. And it seems and good for you that you've done what so many people in the hobby have not been able to do, which is find and attract that net generation. Is that because this is, as I said earlier, like the Facebook for train fans or what's going on there? Yeah, I do think that obviously my expertise with internet with my previous company has helped me just understand a little bit, probably better, how to communicate with some of the younger generations. You know, I all the time, especially, you know, in exact real, I hear people talk about the industry dying and, and people not modeling as much anymore. And I kind of chuckle a little bit when I hear those things because I believe that the industry is just really reshaping itself, that we're seeing younger people come in. You know, you might not be selling as many Steam Era products because that's not what the younger generations grew up with. I think it's funny that when you look at modern modeling, people are talking about stuff that happened in like the 70s and 80s sometime. And I'm like, well, that's not really all that modern, right? 
So I think that what we're seeing is that people are growing with the hobby. They're learning how to interact with the hobby in different ways. And as we adjust through what we as manufacturers are producing, along with how we're communicating with these modelers, you know, with sites like Train Life, that we're going to really see a strengthening in the market, that we're going to continue to see it grow. And it might grow differently than, than the ways that people thought it would have. But we will see these old and young generations continue to go to the hobby stores, continue to purchase things even online, and support the industry. And one of the things I've noticed when I go on to train life is that a lot of the discussions revolve around modern railroading. And I think it's kind of interesting that you say people are finding new ways to engage with the hobby. And there are these younger people that are coming to to train life and engaging in new ways with the hobby. And of course, they're going to be interested in modern railroading. Before it ceased publication, Rail Model Journal was the home for the modern modeler, basically. And I think it's great that you've got those magazines up on your site. Is train life now becoming the new home for for the modern modeler? I definitely hope that it's becoming a home for the modern modeler, but I also hope that it becomes the home for any modeler. One thing that's really neat about the site, and we'll even continue to see more improvements on the site in this fashion, but that the site, I want to make it so it molds to you as a trained hobbyist, right? If you want to just discuss real prototypes, I want the site to support that. If you want to discuss modern modeling, it should also support that. But at the same time, if we have a group on the site that discusses steam era or transition era, really the site will mold itself to you, and that's what will make it successful. Just like when you think about when you're on Facebook, you don't see comments and things from people who aren't your friends. And we'll see a similar thing happen more and more on Train Life, where as we get more and more groups of people, we'll be able to start focusing more and more so that most of the discussions and things that you're interacting with people on train life will be focused on what areas you do, whether you know your modern steam transition, what railroads you're modeling, all those type of things will then help adjust the content to your liking. Now, let's talk about the magazine. See, you've got half a dozen titles listed, and for some of those titles, you've got over two decades worth of issues online. That must be a huge commitment to digitize all that content. How are you managing to get this done? It really was a huge commitment. and Obviously, I've been blessed in my life with quite a bit of success, which then allowed me to have the resources to purchase the rights to these magazines. We've actually purchased the rights to over nine magazines, which actually spans from 1937 to 2008, which is thousands of issues and articles. Now, in order to digitize all this, we've actually hired a staff. We have a full-time developer, and we've just been going at it, scanning all these magazines. One of the things really neat about the way that we display these is as we've been taking the content of the magazines and digitizing them, we've also been doing what's called OCR, which is where you take the image and turn it into real text so that it's all searchable. One of the things that I wanted to make sure is that when we had all this content online, it just wasn't hidden. You know, like, obviously, you don't want to go and click on the next image and just be looking at images and magazines. It's very important that it becomes searchable, that you can find the content that you want. So if all of a sudden you want to see, you know, a Union Pacific boxcar from 1963 of some specific type, you could pull that up and it would come right up. So it's been a big, big process. We're still working through it. 
yeah, it's been a lot of work. I'll bet it has. Now, even as you do that, are you still pursuing other titles? I, I'd love to see Mainline Modeler added to the list, for example. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I'd love to see Mainline Modeler, too. That was a fabulous magazine. And we're absolutely working, trying to add more publications to Train Life. Really, if anybody out there is interested in adding content to Train Life, they should please contact us. And we're also not limited to magazines. We want to add books historical society publications, club information, whatever is out there, we can help these people get it digitized because we have the processes in place and and we'd love to do that for them. And, and the best part, I think we should make sure our listeners know, is that to get access to all of this information, all a hobbyist has to do is register as a member of Train Life, which is free to do. Trevor, I should mention one thing is actually you don't even have to register. You can view all the content, at least from the magazines, even for free, just going to the site. Well, there you go. Thank you, John. John Pastana is the CEO at Train Life, an online community for rail fans, modelers, and professional railroaders. We'll have a link to Train Life on our website. Check it out. Thanks, Trevor. And thanks, John. No doubt about it, Train Life is another delectable addition to that huge and growing bonbon dish in the clouds. You know, Jim, I've registered, and I'm really impressed by how much activity takes place on Train Life. There are new members every day and a lot of discussions taking place. Visit our website, themodelrailwayshow.com, for a link to Train Life. And if you don't see the discussion or even the railroad you're interested in, start a group to address it. Train Life has fast become another piece of fabric that makes up the crazy quilt that is this hobby. Well, that's a very clever segue, and I don't know how you see down phone lines there, Trevor, but I happen to be holding in my hand right now the July 2011 edition of the American Quilter. Now, I know a lot of model railroaders have wives who quilt, and and I'm one of them. And Cheryl passed on uh, this editorial to me by Christine Brown, the editor-in-chief of American Quilter. She says it's possible by controlling the quilting community and then driving the quilt marketplace for decades has made boomers a bit short-sighted about what quilts should be. Now, I'm paraphrasing various parts of this. The quilting industry bemoans the fact that young people are not becoming quilters in numbers as large as previous generations. The young quilters in this group may hold the key to keeping our industry strong and vigorous as aging boomers retire and put away their sewing machines. Many experts agree that thinking young can help you stay young. Now, she says, to end this, I will be paying more attention to how generations X, Y, and Z are expressing themselves in art and fabric. There's room for all of us here, and this could be a new quilting renaissance if we think outside our traditional box. And that's just part of it. In the magazine itself, there's, uh, Trevor, there's uh, an article about a couple of young women who have started a quilting blog for modern quilts and uh, how this has caught on across the country. And uh, one of the lines in this story says that while members of the modern quilt guild are primarily computer-based, they are returning to traditional handicrafts. I think a world shift back to basics is responsible. People are turning their creative comfort of working with their hands as a release from high-tech fast-paced lives. So, you see, it's not just about us. It certainly sounds familiar, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. So, you know, I think what manifests model railroading also manifests a lot of other hands-on hobbies. So I'd like to thank my wife, Cheryl, for uh, sharing that with me. It sounds very familiar, and they're facing the same issues. And, of course, these are some of the issues that we've been talking about here on the Model Railway Show. One of the things we've also talked a lot about on the Model Railway Show is the uh, NMRA's National Convention, which uh, is going to be starting in just a few days as we record this uh, in Sacramento. Sacramento, California. Unfortunately, we won't be there, will we? We we both plan, but then other things came up in our lives. But uh, we do plan to have more NMRA officers on the show in the near future. 
I don't know what came up in your life. Bills came up in mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, bills yeah. and bills and work came up in mine. I had work I just couldn't yeah. uh, because, believe it or not, folks, uh, we don't actually make our living doing this. This is uh, by and large a volunteer project. We have a couple of sponsors, and we encourage you to visit our website and then check out the uh, the links to our sponsors. You'll see their box and banner ads on our pages, and please do give them a click and go through and see what they're about. Right. One of the NMRA officers we're going to be speaking to in the near future is Stephen Priest, editor of the NMRA Mag and the man responsible uh, for uh, the NMRA archives, a resource you're going to want to know more about. Excellent. Now, of course, the other thing that's going on is the National Association of Escagers Convention. That's right. They've paired that up with the big NMRA convention as well. Uh, can I be the first to welcome you to the S-Scale Fold? Well, thank you. Yes, it's great to be here. Now, I, I do dabble in many scales, as people who uh, know me know, but uh, one of my latest ones is S-Scale. Uh, the, uh, of course, the uh, you're a member of the S-Scale Workshop, and I've seen your work, and uh, I'm really inspired by it. You actually have me working on a uh, General Electric 44-tonner from River Raisin Models. Uh, I'm detailing it as a Canadian National Engine. Canadian National, of course, is a one of the largest railways in North America, and what I find particularly interesting about this engine is that it's number one. Yes, indeed. Number one on a system that big. Now, I must say you were mentioned as being part of our group in an article in RMC about uh, three years ago now, so it didn't take long, but welcome uh, welcome aboard, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> i got to get working on that module now. Uh, it, it really is one of those things, though, that I've been inspired by other people, and, and inspiration in this hobby does come from many places, and I know that the subject of your interview is a great example of that. Even as we try to look ahead to the future of model railroading, it's important to look back at the giants who have brought us to where we are today. Model railroading not only recreates history in miniature, it creates its own history as it moves forward. So let's look back now at a past forward thinker. Here's Jim. Consider the great model railroad thinkers and doers of all time, and certain names will always rise to the top. Frank Ellison, Lynn Westcott, John Armstrong, our recent guest, Alan McClelland, and the subject of this conversation, John Allen. There are scads of skilled modelers everywhere, but these are the men who thought outside the toolbox, to quote a certain podcast slogan. They were pioneers in design, construction, presentation, and operation. If John Allen, builder of the famed Gorian Defeated Railroad, were still alive, he'd be marking his 98th birthday this summer. Looking back, it's hard to believe he's been gone now for 37 years. That's long enough for a generation of model railroaders to grow up without first-hand knowledge of the influence John had on the hobby. Fortunately, a long out-of-print book about the man and his layout is again rolling off the presses. Model Railroading with John Allen, written by his good friend, the late Lynn H. Westcott, was first published in 1981 and has been unavailable for a long time. But now, a new expanded edition is flying off the shelves at Benchmark Publications. Benchmark is the publisher, of course, of the Narrow Gauge and Shortline Gazette. And we have editor Bob Brown back on the show to share his thoughts on John Allen. Welcome back, Bob. Glad to be here again. We hope our listeners have first viewed the links to John's work so they can fully appreciate what he's accomplished. Looking back, it's hard to believe, uh, at least I find it hard to believe, perhaps you do too, that the the Gorian defeated most of us think of took shape in only a 20-year period. 
it's amazing. Yeah, he uh, he was a very prolific author, so everybody knew what, what he was doing. Uh, how far up your list of greats is John Allen? He's uh, right at the top, in my opinion. I first ran into him with a cover on Model Rotor in the December 1945 issue, and at that point I wanted to do models like that, and I was only about 12. So he really influenced what I did. In the last issue of the Gazette, I had some pictures of models I had built back in the early 50s, and you can take a look and see the uh, influence that he had on me. A positive influence, I'd say. They look pretty good from a distance. And I wanted to mention you yourself are an award-winning modeler, Bob. Your layout is second to none. What sort of influence did John Allen have on you? Can you tell me how he influenced the way you wanted to do things at the workbench and down Uh, in the train room? I think it was mostly the subtle coloring he used and the detail that he put into his scenery and the humor he brought to his layout. These these are things I think I've incorporated on my layout. He, he, for instance, would wipe his scribe material rather than brush it or spray it, and that's something I still do today. You talk about his sense of whimsy. You don't have any dinosaurs switching your layout, do you? No, I don't. I have a guy that's been squashed by a steamroller. (laughs) (laughs) I have a few things. I I didn't go as far as he did. Tell us about your first meeting with John Allen. Uh, Well, I I had run into him many times at Pacific Coast Region NMRA meets, but it was, you know, I never went up and talked to him, but I know he was a subscriber to my first magazine, Fine Lines, and I had an open house one night, and he came to that meeting, and that's the first time I really talked to him. My greatest memory of that open house is John sitting down on my workbench and breaking it. He broke it down. He was a heavy man, and uh, which eventually led to his death, unfortunately. But that's, I think, when I first started talking with him. And I also, uh, in 71, Irene and I went to the NMRA convention in London, and I rode with him in a carriage, in a compartment, just the two of us, on the Bluebell Railroad and had a nice talk. And I was fortunate to win three first places in the Brass Lantern at that convention. And I remember John leaning over and saying, don't you think you've overdone it? (laughs) And I never to this day knew whether he was joking or was serious. I think he was probably proud of perhaps the influence he had on you. Tell us about some of the things he pioneered. You've mentioned the way he colored or weathered. He was probably the first to actually weather rolling stock. Maybe not well, the he, first, but among the first, certainly. Well, among the first, yeah, but he, he had a subtlety. Remember, he went to art school in L.A. He went to an art photography school, and he learned the use of art materials that most people were not using. And he, he used oil paints and that sort of thing, which most people weren't using at the time. And then he, he had the idea of perspective and subtlety and, you know, and making his colors not bright. He was painting his locomotives dark gray when everyone else was doing it shiny black. And as far as force perspective and mirrors, I guess he was a pioneer there. Incidentally, I have an author named Lane Stewart who went to the same school. And if you read Lane's articles in the Gazette, he uses the unusual artist materials as well. So there's something to be said about an art background. I never pass up a Lane Stewart article. I've learned a lot from him. And I guess as he learned from the art school. You, now, of course, John was a professional photographer, very good yes, at it. He was. He good was, enough yeah. that allowed him to retire at quite an early age and, and get on with layout building. And uh, of course, he wrote and took a lot of photographs and wrote a whole lot of articles. But I think photographers tend to look at pictures in terms of light, the really good ones, don't they? I think you're right. And yes. probably everything he built on the Gory and Defeated was, how will this light come back to the eye? I think you're dead right, yes. Yeah. How do you 
think the Gorian defeated would have evolved if John had not passed away when he did? He viewed his layout as a big game, I think, a big chess game. And I think if he had continued on, he would have devised more and more ways to make operating the Gorian defeated a challenge for the operators. I know he had a device that would cause your engine to stop if you didn't stop enough for water. And he had his famous hot box card that if you started too quickly, you would have a hot box and would have to set the car off someplace. And I don't see this kind of thing being written up today in the articles and operating layouts. I think people have become very realistic about how they operate. John was whimsical in the way he operated, and I think he would have continued with this if he had lived. You mentioned he was whimsical, but he was actually perhaps thinking ahead with these hot box cars that you mentioned, because modern operators like Lance Mintheim, for example, find all kinds of ways to slow their operation down on a simple layout, well, replicating yeah. uh, the delays that take uh, occurrence on, on the real railroad. Yes, yeah. exactly. Would you think he'd have incorporated things like staging yards and interchange? Change, that kind of thing? or would I think he might have, but remember, he planned his layout way, way ahead. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just don't know whether he... I think he would have followed the modern trends. He probably would have led in what he was doing. Other than Frank Ellison, he was one of the people that really wrote about operation and how, how he ran his railroad. Now, even though John had a heart condition, he dug out his own basement under his house in Monterey, California. I'd like to know, Bob, are the stories true about him removing the support beams to make way for the model railroad? I've heard one had to walk around the edge of his living room. I only visited him once. I haven't heard this story. And what I remember is going into his house and just simply going down a short flight of stairs through his workshop and into the layout. But I, I don't know, I can't say anything about this walk around the edge of the living room or removing the supports. I just have not heard that. Well, part of the mythology of John Allen and his layout plays out like a Greek tragedy. Before the Gorian defeated could be salvaged after his death, it was destroyed in a fire. What souvenirs remain? And do you know if there's anything out there left to be rediscovered? Discovered. Well, I do know that his operators went in after the fire and salvaged what they could. I do know there were some models in the workshop which evidently did not burn. I have heard that the main Port Arthur control panel still exists, and I have heard that there are bridges that still exist, but this is all in the realm of rumors. I personally have his HON3 locomotive, his combine, and two of his narrow-gauge freight cars, and about four of his standard-gauge cars, but they're all badly singed and burned. But the rest of it's rumor out there. We hear that people have stuff, but I don't have any definite information. Well, we're glad to hear the book's doing well for you, Bob. How did you get it from the original publisher comeback. Lynn Westcott wrote the book, but he died halfway through writing it, and Bob Hayden completed the book. Bob was a book editor at Kambach. Bob has since retired, and Bob distributes our books for us, and he contacted Kambach, and they very generously allowed us to reprint the book, and they also allowed us to reprint Malcolm Furlow's and HON3 layout you can build at no cost to us. They were very generous there, and all of the royalties for the John Allen book go to Mrs. Westcott, who's now in her 90s, but we see that she gets her royalty payments. So it was simply, I think, Bob knowing people at Kambach and Kambach respecting what we do, and they were very generous to let us do it at no no charge. Well, it sounds like the book doesn't need any help from this program, but we will let our listeners know they can find a link to Benchmark on the links for this episode on our website. So be sure to check it out. Bob Brown, it's uh, been great talking to you again. Okay, it was my pleasure. Please don't hesitate to call again. You know, Jim, I cannot think of another modeler whose black-edged portrait made the cover of a leading model railroad magazine upon his passing. You're right, you are, Trevor, but if it's all the same to you, I'll take being alive over being famous. Again, 
A reminder to check our website for links related to my conversation with Bob. And that's it for this time. Trevor, who have we got lined up for the next show? Well, next time out, Jim, we're going to be speaking to longtime Gazette columnist and professional architect and photographer Boone Morrison about layout presentation at home and on the road. We'll also talk to Mike Confalone, the editor of Railroad Explorer magazine, about his passion for rail fanning and how it has influenced his work on his stunning HO scale Allagash Railway. As always, Trevor and I give a tip of the conductor's cap to our train crew, Dave Woodhead for the music, Otto Vondrack for web design, and Chris Abbott for sorting out the gremlins. For Trevor Marshall, I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. And tell your friends about us. We'll chat at you next time on the Model Railway Show.